Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, Greeny, we roll along. Presented by Progressive Insurance. A reminder, every pitch of the Major League Baseball postseason is here on ESPN Radio. Catch the uh, action on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And those pitches were very few, as it turned out, for the Dodgers and the Orioles, who are two of the great stories of the sport this season. And that's a conversation that we're in the midst of having right now. Hembo brought up, I think, somewhat uh, brought it up well, articulated well, the complaint that a lot of people have that baseball, which has always been the marathon, what we've respected the most about baseball is you have to earn it over the course of every single day for five months. And the way they then decide the champion has increasingly become somewhat flukish. Now, I'm going to solve that problem for you right now. But first, I will say that if anyone interprets what I'm about to say as a criticism of the changes that have been made, it couldn't be more wrong. In fact, I'm the one who got up at the end of Bud Selig's tenure and said the world lived to rip that guy. People like to take shots at Bud for whatever reason. They pinned the steroid thing on him when had nothing to do with him. Anyone in his position would have wound up in exactly the same situation. It was an unsolvable problem in the moment in time in which it was happening. And he got a lot of things right. Revenue sharing, which he fought for tooth and nail and got over a lot of people's um, displeasure, has saved the sport, rescued the sport. And the addition of the postseason, the the way they have added to the playoffs, which has subsequently been adapted and and added to even further, has also been a tremendous thing for the sport. We just don't live in a world where you can play 162 games in each league and then have one team represent each and play for the championship. That's just not the world we live in anymore. The downside of that, so this is not a criticism. The downside of it, however, is that you're going to wind up with champions that feel fluky because no one in the world is going to say if the Arizona Diamondbacks wind up playing, um, you know, the, the Texas Rangers in the World Series, no one is going to say, well, those were the two best teams all year long. So here's the solution. I've been saying this forever. I think they should do it in the NBA. You could stagger these postseasons. So let me explain to you the way this works in golf. Do you pay any attention to the FedEx Cup? Just a little bit. At the end of the golf Just season. Just a little so the FedEx Cup is golf's version now, or the PGA Tour's version, of a playoff system. You spend all year long accumulating points based on all your finishes, how much you win, how all that stuff. Players accumulate points. And then a certain number of them qualify for the playoffs, which are used to be four tournaments at the end, now it's three. And it keeps the field keeps getting narrowed down and narrowed down until just the top, I believe it is, 30 players play for the Tour Championship the last weekend. And on that last... In that last event, the people who have made the most money, who have accumulated the most points, start ahead. So Scotty Scheffler started out that tournament, like I forget exactly what the numbers are, we could look it up, but something like three under. Hmm. The whole world had to beat him by three to beat him, and then Victor Hovland was next, and others were next. They actually stagger it. So everyone doesn't start equally because they're giving weight, they're giving value to the entire year that you spent earning it, what could be more random than someone getting hot for three weeks and all of a sudden winning a championship when the Scotty Scheffler was by far the best player all year long? Am I making it clear what I mean, how yes. they do that? Yes, it's, it's interesting. So you could do that. So in baseball, you could take a series where the Dodgers are playing the Diamondbacks. The Dodgers won, what, 104 games? 
How many did the Diamondbacks win? Uh, 84. 84. The, the Dodgers won 100, 100 exactly. 100 games, 16, Yeah, 16 win difference. 16 win difference. You could stagger it. You could say in a postseason series now, based on that, the Dodgers start out with one win. So we're going to play a best of five, but the Dodgers start out with one win. In a perfect world, you'd make it best of seven because that feels a little more manageable. But the Dodgers start with a win. I'd like to see them do that in the NBA. If you are the number one seed in the NBA and your conference and you're playing the eight seed, I'd like to see you start out with one win banked. So you're playing a best of seven, but it starts with game two for all intents and purposes, and we're giving the better team one win. Now, all of a sudden, the regular season has been infinitely more valuable than before, and in order for the fluky team to win, they're going to have to really earn it. I mean, it's, it's definitely extreme. I, am, I have to admit, I am intrigued by the idea. The NBA does this a little with the play-in. So, like, if you're, if you're a team that finishes, I guess, ninth or 10th, you have to win twice mm-hmm. to get in, where, whereas if you're 7 or 8, you only have to win one of two. Do I have that right? That's exactly so it right. So is it is an interesting concept. I also think that there's something to be said about the lengths of these series, which makes... Which, in other words, I'm interested in Major League Baseball considering going back to 154 games and elongating the playoffs a little bit. Because it does feel like, look, the, the, the Diamondbacks deserve enormous credit. Like, they were outscored on the season, but just won three games in a row against the Dodgers. But if these series were all best of seven, it's, it's a little bit more fair and representative of what baseball should be. And so, like, the, like the, the, the wild card game was not something that I like personally. The best of threes are an improvement. The best of fives, to me, are really, really short for baseball. Best of sevens are probably what we should be doing for everything. I am intrigued with the idea, to be honest with you, to start, to start. So in, in other words, if you're the Dodgers, you have to win three of six, basically, is what right. you're saying. Good. That's an interesting concept, and, and it, it incentivizes teams going for broke. Look, it really does. In basketball, pull up last year's NBA standings real quick for me. Miami obviously skewed everything, but, but they were the eighth seed, right? They, they finished as the eighth seed, I believe, because they lost the first play-in game and then won the second. So they were the eighth seed. What was their record this year? Uh, 44 and 38. 44 and 38. What was the record? The one seed in the East, I think, was Milwaukee? 58. 58. 58 So wins. they won 14 more regular season games. And their reward for that was one additional home game mm-hmm. in a best of seven. It's not enough. It's not enough. The minute the road team wins one game, you've now flipped it. They have no advantage based on one game. Giannis turns an ankle in the first quarter of game one, and it's like the whole season never happened. So I've been saying this for years. The other way you could do it is you, is you further stagger the home field advantage, however important you think that is. So you could play the entire series in the home ballpark or the home stadium, home arena of the team with the better record. Or you could make it five versus two as opposed to four versus three. There are ways you do that, and what you do, what you accomplish is, A, you further incentivize winning in the regular season, which is a good thing. B, you decrease the possibility of what feels like an illegitimate or fluky champion, which is also a good thing. Let me throw another idea at you, because I think that's a good one, but I do think it is fairly extreme, like on the spectrum. What do you make of the possibility that, because the Braves had the, the best record in the National League, in all of baseball, but in the National League here, when you await the winner of the wild card series, in this case, Arizona and Philadelphia. I know what you're about to say. The Braves get to choose who they play. Right. Love it. How great would that be? They should do it in all sports. They should do it in all sports because, um, and you want, you want to talk about television ratings? Mm. You put on ESPN the night before a round of playoffs begin, these teams choosing who they play, who they get to play, th- that would be 
monstrous television, monstrous. Can you imagine if we're doing it? I'm just making this up, doing it in the NBA and, you know, Malika Andrews and, and Stephen A are sitting there and they're waiting. Okay, the Lakers, who do you choose? Uh, we'll play Memphis. Oh, they're playing Memphis. Like, like and now you like, get um, all the bulletin board material. You wanted them. You wanted us. You got us. It's genius. They should absolutely So, like, it. draft lottery style, right? For so, sure. So, Ronald Acuna, like, reveals a card of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Something oh, like that. Oh, that's so good. I don't care how they do it, but it's a good thing. And that way, they get to play who they want. You also then avoid the two best teams playing each other in this round. Right. And the, the, the Braves and the Phillies are the – I was texting with Buster about this the other mm-hmm. day. The Braves and the Phillies are the two best teams. Now, the Dodgers earned that, and, and so are the Braves and the Phillies the two best teams or are the Dodgers – They are right now, but that's also kind of the point you're making is that like in baseball, like by the end of the season here, like these <laughs> – because baseball season is so long, like these aren't – these aren't the two best teams, like the, the Dodgers and the Braves, I mean. Two years ago, the Dodgers and the Giants both won 100 games and had to play each other in a best of five because of the format. So if we can make the format more uh, elastic, more flexible, like less, like less like concrete like this, I think it actually would go a long way. Like I don't want, we're not excusing the Braves through four games and the Dodgers through three. And the Orioles. For, don't forget the Orioles. Can't forget the Orioles for playing this badly, right? But at the same time, the reward for 162 does need to matter more than it does. I don't think that's overstating it. I don't think so at all. Because right now, like if you look at the last two months of the season, the Dodgers and Phillies were the two best teams in all of baseball. And we're getting them in a best of five. And that's the Braves' reward. Like that's the Braves' reward. And they had no say in the matter. I think it's a fair point to make. So I'm just looking this up here. The Orioles, no, I wanted to do the Dodgers. While I'm looking this yeah. up, let me ask you guys, uh, Bubba and Cam, what do you think of these ideas? I like the choosing thing. I do not like at all the you start up 1-0 thing. The part of the playoffs is proving that you can be clutch when it is more important, when it is different, when the atmosphere is different. Four of the last seven World Series champions have been 100-win teams. It's not like we're seeing this every single year. And the Dodgers, when they won in 2020, had the best record, I think. They were 43-17 and 17 or something. So this happens often where the team that is the best all year proves it in the playoffs we don't need to give them the advantage they have the home field advantage the first two games the Orioles were playing at home and they lost both of them coming off a Rangers team who had also just played two road games they won four road games in a row if you're able to do that you do it the Dodgers lost both home games their advantage is starting with the home field advantage and I think you could give them more but Hmm. then they're not proving themselves to be the best team if you are the best team all year you should be the best team in the playoffs too but historically Greeny like I've said before with the exception of the Phillies right now home field advantage has hardly mattered in baseball's postseason it's like it's like 55 percent of the time the home team wins so Cam like I, I I agree with your sentiment but I also think there's some there's some genius in rewarding the best teams in baseball over the course of many many months. Like, and I'm saying this as a Phillies fan, as one who's reveling in all of this. But I think we can still be um, straight and honest here too. All right. So what I think I heard there is Cam agrees with me. Uh, Bubba, how about you? I no, he doesn't agree with you. <laughs> no, I, what I heard was he does. <laughs> okay. Well, you I, hear a lot of things. I think the rest of us heard he does not like mm-hmm. your idea. Yeah, I think I think I actually probably would be. I'm open to both ideas. I think I like the choosing, and I think I would be open to the uh, you get you get the one. I think uh, I, I'm I'm down for both. So the choosing, the difference in the the I, I'm going to use the uh, basketball for a minute. Basketball, they're they want to have a certain number of games every single day. So they'll start the next round. As, as you know, some teams will be playing game one of round two, while others are still playing game six of round one. And that is so they can have games every night. If you're going to have the choosing, you would have to let every, every, an entire round end 
before you could let the other one start. Right. Which by definition means you're going to have some nights of no games. And I think that won't work well. Having been in the middle of that now for the last couple of years, you know, between TNT and us, there there are games on every single night in the playoffs and they want that. And I think it is good for the sport. You just get into a rhythm of there's going to be a game every single night, uh, at least one uh, in in the NBA playoffs every single night. That's the one thing you would lose Mm -hmm. because you'd have to let every series end before – you uh, that's, that's right that's, that's also right. been the talk about reseeding i know mm-hmm. and hockey has had that you have to wait for the whole round to end if you're going to just reseed because um you can't know who all the teams are going to be till you have all the teams I, I don't think there's a a perfect system but i do think we can reach a place where we we should we should want to reward teams for being great over the course of six months like it was actually the the mariners general manager last week who said our goal is to win 54 percent of our games over a period of 10 years like, that shouldn't be incentivized, right? Like, the, the, the Giants won three World Series in five years despite not winning 95 games in any of those seasons. Like, the, we should want teams to try and be great. In baseball's postseason, like, all you need to try and do is get to 90 wins, and then you have practically the same chance to win the World Series at a team that was, as a team that was considerably better than you are. So even I, as a Phillies fan who is loving all of this, that's watching the Braves absolutely melt, can acknowledge the fact that it's honestly not all that fair. You're listening to Greeny. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water, see how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. We come to you every morning live from the Seaport District at Pier 17. We are brought to you by Chase. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, actually. You can hit me up on Twitter, at ESPN Greeny, on Instagram, at ESPN Greeny, on threads, at ESPN Greeny. As we continue next, the most depressing series of statistics you will ever hear for one NFL team. That's next, ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. 
Greeny with Mike Greenberg. Came across a pair of pants that I just never wear anymore. Had them hanging here, and Hembo came in, and I said, would you like them? Oh, I could never wear these. These are much too big for me. You could put two of me in these pants. Cam, how should I react to this? You should be offended. Your pants should fit him, and his pants should fit you. This There's, isn't Chris Cantor. Take your pants off right now. I'm telling you right now I'm going to fit in your pants. This is Greeny. So here's what just happened. I don't know, Bubba and Cam, if you were able to hear that down the line. If you didn't, then it's incredibly coincidental that you just played that. But a few weeks ago, Hembo suggested to me that, my, of course, my pants would be too big on him, despite the fact that he and I are the same size. I'm just 25 years older than he is, so he may not be the same shape, but we're the same size. And he put on those pants, and they fit beautifully. They were, in fact, immediately the nicest pants you have. So the other day, I was going through my closet. So we have recently, as I think you know, moved from this big house in Connecticut that we lived in for 20 years where we raised our kids to our apartment in the city, which both Stacey and I love. But it is obviously much, much, much smaller, and so we don't have nearly as much room. So I don't have the space to keep clothes that I just don't wear anymore. So I give most of that to Goodwill. But I saw this one pair of pants. I actually thought of this conversation. I had this, this pair of black jeans, frame jeans, that I, I've always liked, but I have a newer pair that I wear all the time. I'm never going to go to the closet because I don't wear them that often. I'm never going to go to the closet and pick the old one as opposed to the new one because I have the new one. It's not like I'm going to wear these three days in a row. It's just never going to happen. So I said to Stace, I'm going to give these jeans to Hembo. They're going to fit Hembo. She said, okay, give the jeans to Hembo. So I brought in the jeans the other day. So just now, during a commercial break, what did you just say to me? I'm wearing the jeans, and honestly, they fit really good. They fit really good. They look great on you. Thank you. They look great. These are very, very... Your wife is going to come home. She's going to find the vomit in the bed from the dog. She's going to try and find her wedding ring and then make up all the reasons why she didn't have it and have, have make, confirm with everyone all the cover stories that they put together out there mm. in Vegas for what she was actually doing with Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm. And then you're going to walk in the door and she's going to say, look at my husband in these jeans. Yeah, she's going to say, Jimmy has the same pair. And all, <laughs> and all is going to be well. So you're, will you just admit now to everyone that you fit in my pants? I fit in your pants. And also, this is, this is good, man. Like, we have reached now the stage in our relationship where, like, I'm getting your hand-me-downs. Like, this is, a next, this is another level for us. Like, this is a new, this is a new inflection point in our, in our relationship. Yeah, because Stevie is not yet at that point. Like, my son, Steven, so he's very tall. Stevie is infinite. He's like almost 6'2". And I haven't weighed him lately. But there's no way he weighs more than 140 pounds. He is like a straight line. I mean, he is, he's so skinny. And I was like that. That's how I was built when I was younger. Ridiculously skinny. Like always uncomfortable about how skinny I was, which is the reason I have bad posture. A lot of tall, skinny guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You walk kind of hunched over because you're uncomfortable about how tall you are relative to how mm. skinny you are. So anyway... You don't have that. Now you have a nice new pair of pants, so I consider that to be a big win. You got any more stuff? Uh, more clothes? Mm. We'll talk about it. we see. we got a book session coming up here pretty soon. Meanwhile, the scoop. I promised you depressing numbers, and they come from New England. I got to tell you, all these years that they have been kicking the behind of my beloved New York Jets, I've rooted against New England in every game that they've played. When they lost to the Giants in those Super Bowls, especially the first one, 
I literally celebrated like it was my own team. I'll never forget that night. I was in that hotel across the street from ESPN and Bristol. Tree. The Double Tree. I think at that time it was a Radisson, but it doesn't matter. It's the same building. I'm alone in a hotel room in Bristol, Connecticut, watching the Super Bowl. Tyree makes that catch. Then they throw the touchdown to Plaxico, and I leaped off of the chair I was sitting in. I mean, literally like I had just won the Super Bowl. And, and, and that's not because I'm a giant fan. It's because I root against the Patriots. And I always thought, boy, if the Patriots were terrible, I would revel in it. I have to tell you, I'm actually not reveling in it. They're so bad. I actually feel bad for Bill. Like, he shouldn't go out like this. It's incredible how bad they are. And as much as I root against Belichick, I respect the hell out of him. Same with Brady. I never rooted for Tom Brady in a game he played his entire life, but I respect the hell out of him. And I respect Belichick, too, differently, but I do. And I got to tell you, I always thought I would revel in seeing him get just humiliated. But listen to this. The Patriots rank last in the NFL in points per game in points per drive, and in offensive EPA, which is? In effect, it's an advanced way to say basically how efficient your offense is. So they're the worst offense by mm-hmm. every standard of measure. They're averaging 0.85 points per drive. That would be the worst if it held up for the season by any team in 17 years. Listen to this. They've gone 34 straight drives without an offensive touchdown. They haven't scored a touchdown in their last 34 drives. <laughs> it gets worse. They've gone 24 straight drives without scoring a point. A single point. The last 24 times their offense got the ball, they didn't score. And finally, over their last two games, the Patriots' offense, when the Patriots' offense was on the field, they have scored zero touchdowns, and they have allowed three. The Patriots' offense <laughs> has been outscored by the opposing defense by three touchdowns over their last two games. It's impossible. The defense is killing them alone. That's the worst offense ever. They have a first-round pick at quarterback. They have a bunch of high draft picks. You may think, oh, that oh, the whole team is terrible. They are, but not because they weren't expected to be good. Cole Strange was drafted high. These guys are supposed to be way better than they are. They stink on ice. So what's the fallout going to be? It really is time to start asking the question, what is the right way to handle someone who has accomplished that much for you but it is time to go. Now, again, it, that time has not come yet. Bill Belichick does not wear out his welcome in two games. The last couple of years, as much as it has been disappointing, they haven't cratered. They have, it's not like they've been 2-15. and 15. They made the playoffs three years ago, whatever it was, Mac's first year. But at some point this season, it, it feels like it's going to become evident that the thing to do is to move on from Bill, that the time has just come, whether it is because... He has, his time has come and gone, or just at some point, a change is necessary for change's sake. Bob Kraft is going to have to make the decision that we're moving on here. And that's the hardest thing, I think, to do in sports. How do you handle the legend? I brought this up briefly the other day, uh, Hembo, and Bubba mentioned 
You know, fans in Dallas, there are some older fans who still haven't forgiven Jerry Jones for firing Tom Landry. Tom Landry was a beloved figure and respected by all. Bill is so different from that. But still, what is the right way? What do you owe a person who has given your franchise unprecedented success? Let's be clear. No coach has ever taken a team to nine Super Bowls. No coach has ever taken a team to six championships. He's the only one ever to do it. So he's literally accomplished more than any other coach has for any other franchise, inclusive of everyone, Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi, name whoever you want. What do you do? How do you handle it when you think it's time to end it and he doesn't? No, no person should be impervious to the consequences for their own failings, at least not for as long as this has lasted. And the thing is, we're, we're not reacting or overreacting to two games, Greeny. This is something that has been building over the course of a long period of time. And I think the best place to identify the, the heart of the problem is with their draft, with their drafting and their player development. Mm-hmm. That is where, over the course of a long period of time, the Patriots have fallen short, and thus over a long period of time, this is the manifestation of it. Do you know who the last skill player on offense that they drafted was that even made the Pro Bowl one time? Are you going to tell me it's Rob Gronkowski? It's Rob Gronkowski. Wow. He's retired. Yeah, that's a long time so, ago. It's a long time ago, 2011. So the Patriots have drafted a handful of uh, Pro Bowlers on defense since then. They've also drafted a Pro Bowl punter, and Mac Jones made the Pro Bowl in his rookie season because that was the last year in which everyone made the Pro Bowl because of all the people that decided to, uh, excuse me, to bail on it. Right. But in the NFL in 2023, you can't possibly win if you don't have people who, with the ball in their hands, can make things happen. And the Patriots not only don't have any of those people— But over the course of basically a decade, they haven't acquired any through the draft. You just can't build a successful team that way. Now, Tom Brady, my opinion on like the was it Brady or was it Bill thing is a little bit more nuanced. My opinion on this is that at the very beginning, it was Brady. Excuse me, it was Belichick. For the first three that they won, I would say that Bill Belichick was definitely more responsible than Tom Brady was for their championships in 01, 03, and 04. But by the time you got to the late aughts, the, you know, the championship in 14 and 16, like those, that version of the Patriots, it's pretty clear to me that Tom Brady was the one that was, was more responsible because by then he had become the greatest quarterback of all time. That, those were more on Brady. I think, that's, I think that's where I've landed on this thing. Like the, the, the Patriots only uh, almost had two separate dynasties. Like they won the three, a long break, and then they won the last three. At the beginning, Bill was so disproportionately the best coach in football. And by the end, it was Brady who was so disproportionately the best quarterback in football. But you can't look at their recent history, not even all that recent history. If you look at their history over the last decade in drafting players, they have so consistently fallen short in drafting weapons that to me, there's no way around it. Bill Belichick, the general manager, has failed miserably. So I'm looking at, 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 I'm just literally looking at their drafts. They haven't drafted a lot of skill position players at all. I mean, there have been stunningly few. So when you say none of them are pro, I get it. I mean, I'm just looking at, the, like last year, Kayshawn Boutte and Demario Douglas. Uh, the year before that, there's a running back, Pierre Strong. Um, the year before that, which was the Mac Jones draft. They took Ramondre Stevenson in the fourth round. He's a good player. But this is a team that drafted Tyquan Thornton, 50th overall. They yeah. drafted Nikhil Harry, yeah. who never got open even in college. That's like, the one I'm looking for, they, yeah. I mean, th- there's not... There's just no evidence. There it is, 19. So 2019 is the year they drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round. That was the year that DK Metcalf went in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, Debo, Debo Samuel, Samuel went yep. in the second round. And one more very AJ good. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. I mean, Nikhil Harry is unplayable. And that was considered a stretch at the time, too. So, like, Bill Belichick's coaching, I still think, is well above average. But 
he, and he's probably getting something close to the most out of his players, but he just doesn't have any good players. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots actually had like the worst roster in the whole league, and you can't blame anyone else because he has 100% of the power there. Yeah, and I don't think you can take any of that away. Uh, the one thing I don't think, I've heard people say, oh, well, just take away the, the, the general manager title. Have someone else come in and do that, and then just have Bill coach. You can't do that. You can't do that. that that's like... I'm trying to think like that's like if 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 I don't, once you're accustomed to having everything, you can't just go back to having something. Um, I, I was trying to think of a relationship comparison, um, and I just don't know what it is. It's like saying that we're, we're we are married, and now we're going to go back to just being boyfriend and girlfriend. It's a terrible analogy. I, I could, couldn't think of a well, better. Let me ask one. you a question though, because go we've ahead. we've seen legendary quarterbacks late in their career change teams fairly frequently. Yeah. It's not nearly as common with coaches like this. So I'm, I'm looking through, like, like Don Shula coached forever in Miami and, and then didn't anywhere else. Uh, George Hallis is the same. Uh, Tom Landry, right, is the same. Curly Lambeau. Well, actually, Curly Lambeau did finish his career uh, in Washington, I guess. So that is, that is one example. Lombardi did, too. Lombardi finished his career in Washington. That's true. He, he had a That's year true. or two and, after and, that. And Paul but Brown in recent memory, because yeah. we, yeah. we talked about this the other day, coaches who have gone from one place to another at this relative age – I thought Dick Vermeil went to Kansas City, which he did after the Rams, when he was as old as Belichick is now. I was wrong. We mm-hmm. looked it up. He was 65. Bill is 71, right? Yeah. So I, forgetting going from one place to another, just hiring a 71-year-old coach is not something that happens often. There's not too many coaches out there that age. I think Pete Carroll is just about his same age. Vic Fangio was hired as a head coach for the first time when he was in his in his like early 60s, but there's not really a good comparison. Bill, Bill is Bel- 10 years older. But Bill that. Belichick is also an exception to every rule. Well, right? so I brought this up Monday on TV, and Rex said he would get half the teams in the league would, would fire their coach to hire him. I think that's right. I think that's definitely right. The team that I would have circled would be Washington. Just parenthetically, with the new ownership, I think it's very likely that if Ron Rivera and that and they don't make the playoffs this year, this will probably be his last season. That feels splashy, and I agree with you one hundred percent. There, there is no world in which Bill Belichick elects to like cede half of his power no. in his seventies after after winning nine conference championships and six Super Bowls. That's not even on the list of options. Actually, so Chris Carlin, let me go back to this here. Chris Carlin, um, who of course hosts the show later in the day here, Carlin versus Joe said he thinks that Vrabel is going to be the next coach. Players are going to be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame next week, including Vrabel, who, of course, is the coach in Tennessee, was a legendary linebacker who caught a bunch of touchdowns for the Patriots. Carlin thinks that he is going to be the next coach. It's pretty clear that the next head coach of the New England Patriots, a guy that Kraft absolutely will want to hire, is going to be in the building next week. You know, next weekend is the Patriots Hall of Fame. They're inducting players. Mike Vrabel is on a bye week next week with the Tennessee Titans, and he's going to be in New England. Vrabel understands how the Patriots work. He understands what it takes, actually, to beat the Patriots. He's done that before in the postseason. He is as detail-oriented as Belichick is. He's got two years left on his deal in Tennessee, but are you going to tell me that Bob Kraft isn't going to want to hire Mike Vrabel to be their next head coach. I don't think there's any question he is at the top of their list. I've thought about that many times. That's Carlin. I've thought about that many times. Now, for what it's worth, I'm not telling you as an insider. I'm telling you that what I have heard from 20 different people 
is that Gerard Mayo is going to be their next coach. He has been on their coaching staff for a while. He is currently their linebackers coach. He was a great player for the Patriots. And, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I can't detail for you the relationships he has with Kraft or with Bill or with anybody. I just do know that everyone thinks he's going to be the next coach there. Now, that might change if Rabel was available. If Rabel at this moment is not available, could, if, if Bill is out, could you see Kraft calling up the Titans and saying, could we make some sort of an arrangement? I, I could see that. Again, I'm only telling you what I've heard is that Mayo is the guy everyone expects to be the next coach. Do you remember when Josh McDaniels walked away from the Colts coaching job? Yes. Mm-hmm. There was all this speculation at that time that they had promised him he would succeed Bill in New England. That's why he came back. Obviously, he's now gone and is coaching the Raiders, and they will be playing the Patriots this week. So all of that comes full circle. So it isn't going to be him. And he's he hasn't been very successful now so far in this stop with, in Vegas either. So... Could I see them wanting, could I see Bob Kraft wanting to hire Mike Vrabel? Absolutely, to be their coach. Will it happen? I'll only tell you, everyone I talk to says they think it'll be Mayo. Yeah, that, that seems to be like the, the worst kept secret in the whole league. Yeah. Like I, I've only heard the name Gerard Mayo. I mean, I mean, yes, Mike Vrabel would make sense. I mean, I think he's one of the top five coaches in the whole league. Mike Vrabel does a phenomenal job. But what's not obvious to me is is why he would leave and go there, I, I, unless it was the kind of like dream job, kind of destination for himself. I, I'm not sure the Patriots' job is a good job. You're not you're not you're not acquiring Tom Brady. You're acquiring a bottom five roster, as we just uh, illustrated. And this is a team that, for most of its history, was not like a legacy NFL franchise. I mean, Brady and Belichick made it that, and it is no longer that. So I'm not. I think the the, the opinion, our opinion of the New England Patriots, has largely been been inflated by stuff that no longer exists. Well. Right, but that this has lasted so long that I do think it still has a little bit. Every kid who is in the NFL now grew up with the Patriots being an elite program, mm-hmm. uh, an elite team. I do think it's a good job. I do think in a vacuum it's a better job than the Titans. Does that mean that each of the particulars are? Not so much. I could see him doing it. I could see him wanting to do it. It wouldn't shock me anyway. I don't know. We'll see. Obviously, I don't have any knowledge of it one way or the other. All right, coming up, we got to do a couple of KODs. We got baseball tonight. We got football tonight. We are busy. Stay with us. Greeny on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny here as we roll along on ESPN Radio. Huge night in sports tonight. Huge baseball game. Phillies Braves is about as good as this postseason is going to get. It could end a night in Philadelphia. We've also got the kickoff of week six tonight in the NFL with the Broncos at Kansas City. Taylor Swift expected to be in attendance. Let's do the baseball first, Hembo. What do we need to know particularly about your boy Bryce Harper? Bryce Harper was put on this earth for yesterday and for games like yesterday. This was something that was preordained by the Cosmos. Bryce Harper, who was on the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated at the age of 16, 
is no less prodigious than Wayne Gretzky or Serena Williams or LeBron James. And yet he has turned into the rarest of rare talent. Like the, the can't-miss prodigy who like delivers on literally the undeliverable potential. And right now, given the nature of baseball's postseason, he is undeniably the sport's biggest star. He has the opportunity over the rest of this month to sort of cement himself as an immortal in baseball and potentially as the face of baseball because baseball is kind of searching for that right now. Obviously, Otani is the most brilliant player we've ever seen in our lives, but he's a free agent now. He's not yet ever played in the postseason, and Bryce Harper has the opportunity like, to captivate the nation. Every time he comes up in these moments, you feel like he was, he was put on the earth for this, and you're surprised when he doesn't deliver. Like He's the, he's the player who, who you're dreading when the ball's in his hands at the end of the game taking the last shot. Like he's, he's turning into that guy. Like he's everything we thought he could become and more, and it's manifesting, in, in my case at least, in the best way possible as a fan of the Philadelphia Phillies. And how confident are you tonight that they're going to win? And before you answer that question, let's once again revisit what Spencer Strider said. So Strider gets the ball tonight for the Braves. He's going to do it in the most hostile environment the sport has. And as we learned a couple of weeks ago, if it were up to him, He'd be pitching with no fans. Any hot sports takes? Absolutely, there should be no fans. 2020 season, no fans. Get rid of the fans. It's too loud. Too loud? It's too okay. loud. Everybody be quiet. We don't, we don't need the, the cheering. We know you're watching. I don't need a fans. Uh, you, you stay outside the stadium. I mean, back it up. Let's do like a no lower bowl thing. No lower you know? bowl? Okay. Just kind of, you know, yeah, upper like deck's great. Upper deck's great. Outfield, phenomenal. Well, we don't, we don't need you around the dugouts. Right. Just, just try and be quiet. So what do you think of that? That, What is he going to hear tonight? That sounds like a man that's going to be on vacation tomorrow. Because Spencer Strider is going to melt in Philadelphia tonight. The the Braves are favored to win this game tonight, as as well they should be. I mean, he's he's going to finish as a finalist for the National League Cy Young Award. He is a brilliant pitcher, and he pitched great in Game 1. He just got absolutely no run support. But the environment that he's going to pitch in tonight is one in which very few people could actually succeed. And Philly is out for blood Tonight, Spencer Strider got lit up in Game 3 of the Division Series last year. I was there. He didn't make it through the third inning. The Phillies lineup is right now clicking on all cylinders. The fans are obviously out of their minds. And I watched a Braves team in the second half of that game yesterday and then afterwards that absolutely gave up. Ronald Acuna Jr., who managed to steal 70 bases during the regular season, didn't bother running out of ground ball in the eighth inning. He was like, it took him like six seconds to get there. That, this team had bad at-bats the second half of the game, and they spoke in the clubhouse after the game like they had just lost the series. The Phillies have such an enormous psychological advantage. I think they're going to light up Spencer Strider tonight, and Philadelphia is going to erupt. It's painful to me what you do to yourself. I mean, you're the same one who, who called the World Series over last year after the Phillies took a 2-1 lead. And I'm not sure they scored another run. You get so you people accuse me of overreacting. Momentum is the next day starting pitcher. Spencer Strider is a great pitcher if he is genuinely who he thinks who he if he is what he should be. Doesn't make any damn difference how noisy it is in that ballpark. He may not like it, but they're not doing anything. They're not having anything to do with him. They're all far more than 60 feet and 6 inches away from him. He should pitch a good game tonight, and they absolutely are favored to win because they should win tonight. You have talked yourself into the idea that this series ended last night, and you are now... What you're doing, you're projecting that onto the Braves. You think the series is over, so now you're saying they think the series is over. I don't think they think the series is over. That looked like a team yesterday to me that gave up. 
That's, that's what I saw. They Cam, lost six home runs in that game, and the second half of it, they absolutely shut it down. Nah, because that game was over. Cam, you tell me, yes or no. Is, 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 are you as confident tonight as Hembo? If you thought what happened to Clayton Kershaw the other day was bad, wait till tonight. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> They're going to do that to Spencer Strider is what you're saying? Plus five runs. Okay. So we'll see. I'm actually rooting for the Phillies, hmm. but exclusively because of this conversation. I hope the Braves win tonight. I want to see you here tomorrow having to eat all those. I want that conversation. I want Hembo's entire little diatribe there ready for us to bring back tomorrow so that he, we can play it back to him when the Braves eke out a 3-2 squeaker tonight to force a decisive game five. I then hope the Phillies win. I am rooting for the Phillies. But I, I just to spite you, I want them to lose tonight. Real quick, though, I want to bring it back to the beginning. What did you make of my Harper stuff? Because I, I think we're watching the making of a legend right now. I really do. I think he is. I think he is. Shohei Otani is overwhelmingly the. However, we define a star. He's the biggest star in the sport. Harper has more of a um, like an antihero kind of a mm. personality about him, which I think is also good. He's a guy that that. Some team, some fans are going to love, some fans are going to hate, right? He's a little more polarizing is the word I was looking for and didn't come up with as quickly. He's not, um, he's not Michael Jordan where everybody loved him. You know, Derek Jeter, even though they booed the hell out of him in Boston, he was generally beloved by everyone. There's a sort of a nasty streak to Harper that I happen to like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think, I think he's, He's emerging as that. I mean, Mike Trout has never taken that mantle, despite the fact that he should have basically every day for the last 10 years. Harper having now on, on the second consecutive good team he's been on that's playing deep into the playoffs, I agree with you. I, yes. think, I think the Trout mention is a good one because Bryce had to live the first decade of his, in his career in Mike Trout's shadow. And yeah. now we're watching him like have like He's a, not as good a player as Trout. He's not right? a, as good a player historically as Trout. But he's going to wind Trout. up having had a better career. That's exactly the right way to put it. Like he's, we're going to remember Bryce Harper like we do Reggie Jackson and like the 1977 World Series that Jack. Like that's we're watching like that kind of like immortality in the playoffs. Like, I think he has to finish it though. He does have to win. They have to they win got, it. That is right. That's hundred percent right. Hembo yeah. has put the cart so far ahead of the horse on this. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Not only do they have to finish out the Braves, they then have to beat the Diamondbacks, and they then have to beat the American yeah, League. They have champions. to win two more series. They're nine <laughs> wins away from a champion, and you and, and you are already like anointing Bryce Harper an immortal, and this generation's Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson hit three home runs in a closeout game in the World Series. Bryce Harper just stared a guy down twice in game three of a, of a round of playoffs that didn't exist when Reggie Jackson played. Okay? Let's not get crazy. It's true. It's true. One more thing i got to make a pick on tonight. Hashtag KOD. The kiss of death. Uh, Broncos at Chiefs. What is the number? The number's 10.5. The public likes Kansas City. It doesn't love Kansas City. I would trust your gut on this one and not fade it. I mean, they're going to win by 80. They're going to win by... 80 points. The Broncos just suffered a terrible loss at home to the Jets. Five days later, they got to get on a plane and fly to Kansas City, and that defense has to deal with these guys, plus Tay-Tay in the house. Do we know for sure Kelsey is playing? We don't know for sure. Okay, that might be the outlier here. If Kelsey doesn't play, I reserve the right to change my mind. But is she going to show up if he doesn't play? No. She's going to show up. 
Her movie opens tonight. What she's going to be is, there. I don't think she'd be coming if he wasn't playing. I think That's she's I coming. Mean. I don't think his playing has anything to do with okay. it. <laughs> I think that if her movie wasn't opening tonight, she wouldn't be coming. Uh, I think that the Chiefs win, and I think they cover. I think they cover the 10 and a half. Are you going to watch the movie? Are you going to see the movie? Uh, I will see the movie. Not tonight. I'll be switching back and forth between the baseball and the football tonight. But I will see the movie, hopefully, with my daughter maybe this weekend. All right. Fun day today. As always, welcome back, Kembo. Go home and face the music. We'll see you tomorrow on ESPN. PN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN, and also available wherever you get your podcast.